Hi everyone, I'm your host, Jaco Selka, and you are listening to Hopefully Sustainable. Each week, I'm going to talk to extraordinary people who are doing extraordinary things to make the world a more sustainable place. My goal is for this episode to leave you feeling hopeful about an idea, a person, or the world in general. Thank you for joining me in this conversation, and all together we can be hopefully sustainable. Hi everyone, I hope you are having a great week and staying safe and healthy wherever you are. I wanted to come on here and thank everyone who listened to the first episode, and I'm really excited to kick off our second week of Hopefully Sustainable. I am speaking with Hannah Testa, who is a youth activist. She has accomplished everything from getting her local government offices to ban single-use plastics to being a part of a group that convinced Starbucks to invest $10 million in finding a sustainable coffee cup. It seems like recently the youth activist movement has really come to the forefront, and Hannah Testa is a huge part of this movement, and she's really inspirational to a lot of other youth and anyone out there who is trying to become more sustainable. I'm really excited to share her entire sustainability journey and all that she has accomplished. So enjoy the show, and remember to share with anyone who you think would enjoy Hopefully Sustainable. Hannah, thank you so much for taking time to join me on the podcast today. I first discovered you on Instagram, and I was literally blown away by all of your accomplishments. And after looking at a bunch of your posts, I realized that you were friends with one of my sister's best friends, so it's such a small world. I have a lot of questions for you, but to get started, you can go ahead and introduce yourself. Great, and thank you so much for having me today. My name is Hannah Testa. I'm 17 years old. I live near Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm a youth activist. Awesome. So I want you to sort of walk us through your whole journey, starting out with how you even became interested in the environment. Was there a defining moment or was it more of a gradual interest as you got older? It's kind of a mixture of both a gradual, but then also like a defining moment. Um, I think I've always just been super passionate about the environment and animals starting from a young age. Um, Around the age of like five, um, we had an organic garden in our backyard that my parents set up. And I loved spending time outside, being in nature. And I loved my garden. I loved uh, planting things. We'd be like, I made this strawberry. And uh, grow that was like my pride and joy as a kid (laughs) I remember my classmates like not having that opportunity either they didn't have a garden if they did they weren't interested in it you know they're interested in like playing toys and it blew my mind that like something so simple that like almost anybody has access to people aren't you know enjoying it as much as I was for Earth Day I actually grew tomato plants from seeds for each of my classmates so they an organic garden and my, I remember I asked my mom, um, I was like, hey, can we give tomato plants to my classmates or give them something to start their own organic garden? And my mom was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, I wasn't exactly sure just because uh, I was in kindergarten, mind you. And she knew that buying tomato plants for like 30 something kids would end up being a lot of money. And she knows not all of them are actually going to use them. So she wasn't. Uh, really searched so she decided to test me and she goes okay I'll buy you a pack of seeds and like the little trays and if you grow them yourself then we can give them out 
And so I think my parents assumed I'd be fed up with it within like a week and they'd shrivel up and die. And I was so excited every day coming back from school. I would, uh, we actually grew them in my laundry room and I'd sit there and water them every day. And they were my pride and joy. And I think that was when my parents realized, okay, she's something different. (laughs) She's definitely passionate about it. (laughs) Yeah, you proved them wrong. Yeah. And as I got older, um, I became more aware of just everything happening in the world. What really pulled my heartstrings were endangered animal species. And it was around the age of 10. Um, I was like in fourth grade and I was just learning about all these different endangered animal species like elephants and rhinos and uh, chimpanzees and it broke my heart to see that humans were driving these animals towards extinction mainly uh, egotistical reasons like uh, destruction of habitat or poaching um, and pollution things like that that you know we have so much control over and it just broke my heart that you know we weren't doing enough for these animals uh, and make me gone in my lifetime so I knew I couldn't sit back and watch it all happen so I found organizations online um, doing work and I worked on some of their projects with them so I volunteered with them Um, my first project was there was an organization collecting petitions to help save black rhinos in Africa and um, I remember I heard about it I saw a video they posted about it and I was like oh my gosh I need to help them and this is right when we moved in the area and my mom was like what do you want to do and I was like I want to promise them 500 petitions and my parents were like we don't even know like 30 people here yet (laughs) 500 and within around two three months I got around 1,800 petitions oh my gosh that was kind of the start of it I worked with that organization a lot and I was a board member for them Um, and then I started creating my own campaigns, my own projects, fundraisers. Um, and that's how Hand for Change started, which is my organization. I started that when I was 10 years old, but it really just started off as a small Facebook page um, just for people in our community um, so they can find out what I was working on. So if I was doing a drive and collecting items, our neighbors and family friends would know. And it just grew from there. And Um, From a young age, I was very vocal about these issues, and I started doing a little bit of public speaking um, at different events, not very much, (laughs) really just uh, small, small crowds, and then I started getting asked to speak at places, which was very weird for me. I didn't realize people cared so much about what I thought. Yeah, that's amazing. And yeah, so that was kind of how public speaking started, Um, even though I was always so, like, I hated public speaking. I was, it always made me so uncomfortable. Um, and I'm still to this day so nervous of public speaking. Um, yeah, I'm the same way. It's, it's nerve wracking, but it's because I'm just so passionate on these issues. I know that even if I change one person and plant that seed in their minds, you know, that can make a huge difference and you don't know what they'll do with it. Um, so that's kind of been my driving force. And ever since I've been doing this work and it's been taking me to places I never could have dreamed of. Sounds like you're the queen of proving people wrong, which is awesome because you're so passionate and you really stick with it. You mentioned Hannah for Change. Could you talk a little bit about what that has become today? I know you said it kind of started out as just a small resource for your neighbors, but I know it's grown to be so much more. Could you talk about that? As I said, Hannah for Change started off really small, um, kind of just like a central uh, place for people to kind of see the work I was doing. Um, And it's kind of grown to become a platform to educate people on these global issues, whether it's through campaigns um, or 
awareness through public speaking. I do, that's one of my main things I do is like, um, I speak whether it's at schools or conferences or events just to make people more knowledgeable about these issues. Because a lot of people, they don't want to be polluters or, you know, the bad guys. A lot of us just don't know any better or don't know how to get involved. And it's just a matter of educating people. And um, we also do different projects and campaigns and fundraisers. Um, and it's hopefully to inspire other youth to get involved as well um, and not wait until they're older to make a difference. That's amazing. I know one of the first issues you kind of started focusing on was plastic pollution. Could you explain some of the issues that our world is facing right now regarding plastic pollution? Yeah, definitely. Plastic pollution has definitely been one of my main focuses for the past seven years because seven years ago, plastic pollution was not as common, a common term people knew. For sure. Um, as mainstream as, as it is today, which is incredible that it is. Um, you know, if you say plastic pollution, everybody at least knows something about it. Where beforehand, nobody knew anything. And I remember I heard about it before because of my work with animal species. I heard about it know affecting marine life um but I didn't understand much about it and then I watched a documentary called Plastic Paradise um by now one of my good friends Angela's son she's the producer and I remember I was so in shock and I felt like my head was buried in the sand um because we use plastic all the time it surrounds us and I always thought you know oh I recycle I'm doing my part you know, I take reusable bags to the store and that was all I could do. And once I realized what was actually happening with plastics and how, you know, we don't live by the coast because we're, we're in Atlanta, we're several hours inland from the nearest coastline. I always thought, oh, like, you know, we don't have an impact on the ocean. Um, and that documentary really showed me, no, we do. You know, all the choices we make in our everyday life do have an impact, um, even thousands of miles away from us. And um, the biggest problem with single-use plastics is the fact that plastic is designed to last for hundreds of thousands of years, but we're using plastics for a few minutes, maybe even seconds in most cases, and then throwing them away. Plastic isn't necessarily a terrible product. You know, we use it uh, for medicinal purposes. You know, it saves lives. Um, it's also like in transportation. Um, so plastic is, you know, a great product, but it's just how we're using it. Like too much of anything is never good. And that's where you see single use plastics, which is just for convenience. Um, and there's so many alternatives out there, but it's just hard when, when businesses only provide single use plastics or uh, too much plastic packaging. And so you can make changes in your daily life, which is what I do when um, I hopefully, you know, I want to get other people to join as well, you know, um, to stop using single use plastics and use, you know, reusable straws or take your own bag. but not only that, don't just stop there, but also try and enforce policy or um, try and convince businesses to get involved in well because, as well, because it'll be so much easier to have them on board and giving us, you know, these alternatives instead of us having to, you know, struggle, try and make these life changes. But um, yeah, that's kind of been the main part of plastics. I could talk forever about plastics, but um. Yeah, I guess the biggest thing is that it, in fact, impacts our environment greatly, um, animals, as well as our own human health, which is, I think, the scariest thing, because there's still so much research being done, um, and we don't really know what plastic does to us, but, you know, BPA is obviously not good for us. It's been linked to uh, many different studies with, like, cancer, and that's in 
um, certain types of plastic. Um, and they find, they've been finding plastic in our rainwater, in the air, and they've been finding it everywhere. And they recently said that we eat around five grams of plastic a week. That's about the size of their credit card. And so we're eating that much through our seafood, our drinking water, um, and salt. And they don't know what the effects of that is. I'm sure it's not good. <laughs> They're still doing that research. And so it's kind of scary that, you know, the plastics we use for just a few minutes is coming back to haunt us. Wow, I had not heard that statistic before, but that's crazy to think about eating a credit card worth of plastic every week from resources that we wouldn't even think about. So speaking about single-use plastics, I read that you recently got Fulton County to ban single-use plastics in their government offices. For anyone who doesn't know, could you give an example of what a single-use plastic is and talk about how you even got started getting an entire county to ban single-use plastics in their offices? Yeah, so single-use plastics are just the plastics you use um, once and then throw away the single-use plastics. And so that's where the name comes from. And that's mainly the items you use for convenience, like um, plastic utensils, uh, plastic straws and bags, uh, those kind of things that um, you use and then throw away and don't think much of afterwards. And so I had one of my good friends um, reach out to me and say, hey, there's a hearing in Fulton County, which is the county Atlanta's in here in Georgia. Um, and they have a public hearing, and I would love for you to speak on plastic pollution um, because I know they're thinking about passing this bill. And I remember I went there, and I am being very last speaker um, at the public hearing, and there was me and one of my other friends. We were the only two people in support of it, and there's three people against it. All three of them um, were plastic lobbyists. And I was sitting there and listening to what they had to say, um, and it was all stuff about, you know, jobs or recycling being the solution or saying the biggest thing that took me off was the fact they're saying, oh, you know, it's mainly coming from Asia. So it's not our problem. You know, we're not really contributing to the problem. So we don't need to worry about it. Like we don't need to ban these plastic items in government buildings. And I remember listening to that. Um, and they also they have a very strict time amount you can speak, they time you. So if you go over two minutes, they'll stop you. I'm sitting there already rewriting my speech because I didn't know that. And so I'm crossing out stuff and I'm trying to figure out what to say. And I hear him say that and I'm like, ooh, I'm gonna include that in what I have to say. And so I'm, I'm listening to what everyone from the lobbyists were saying and incorporating it into my speech to kind of counteract that. So it was kind of beneficial that I was last. and. Um, I remember I got up and I spoke and um, even like some of the plastic lobbyists came up and talked to me afterwards. They're like, you did a good job. Like it was a good speech. I was like, thank you. <laughs> it was kind of weird, but I've, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is yeah, people saying, oh, you know, it's not our problem. You know, it's just a small amount, you know, it won't make an impact. Um, but every little bit helps. It really does. And even though it's just government buildings and I would love for it to be, you know, all Fulton County or all of Georgia. Um, you know, every little bit does make an impact. And if we all collaboratively had these small little uh, bands in different places as a collective whole, that's making such a big impact. It's just, you know, these baby steps because it's so hard to, you know, ban everything all at once. You have to take it in baby steps. So that was a big win um, because there is a huge plastic presence here in Georgia. There is Coca-Cola 
that's based here, they used to be very close with the plastic industry. Now they've cut ties with them, but for the past several years, they have been pushing more legislation to not ban plastics, which is hard when, you know, Coca-Cola is based here. Um, but thankfully, they're on the right side of history now, and they're um, being more beneficial and helping. But yeah, so now uh, they did end up passing that bill, and now Fulton County has banned single-use plastics in their government buildings. Wow, that is so amazing. And I'm assuming that you were going against adults. So the amount of bravery that that took, I'm sure that was really nerve wracking, but you were the one that won in the end. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it's definitely scary. I think as a young person, especially speaking up against, you know, these big corporations, these big people, you never know what to expect. And I remember a few years prior, I actually, I actually created Plastic Pollution Awareness Day in the state of Georgia. And that was incredible, but I also had a lot of, not controversy, but a lot of backlash from the plastic industry because even though it wasn't a ban on anything, it was just education and awareness, and that's what they're most scared of. And back in 2017, it was kind of when plastic pollution was starting to become more common, but it was still kind of under wraps. A lot of people still didn't know a lot about it. And I remember my mom got a phone call. I was at school, and it was from the state senator I was working with, his secretary. And she was saying, hey, um, the state senator, he is gonna be coming back from the airport. And before he goes home, he wants to stop by your house and talk to you for a meeting. And she was like, is everything okay? And they were like, oh yeah, everything's fine. Don't worry. And my mom hung up the phone, she texted me and she goes, something bad's happening. Like, oh my gosh. Over, like before he's going to his house, like when he was gone um, on a trip. And so I remember that weekend he came over and we sat down and we're like, okay, what, what's happening? Cause this probably isn't good. And he said, the plastic industry does not like your bill. And so they wanted to do a lot of compromises to try and reduce and minimize it as much as possible. I remember the biggest one that ticked me off is they wanted to rename Plastic Pollution Awareness Day to Plastic Awareness Day. And I was like, I will not do that. <laughs> but we did compromise on a few other things, like some of the wording in um, the resolution we had, which I didn't bother as much giving up as long as we still have the day but I remember um him saying that you know the plastic industry was watching and I was kind of like I was just a middle schooler I was like that's yeah that's intimidating as just a young kid who's trying to make a difference and they know everything about me and you know that's kind of scary because you don't know what you know what that means what they're gonna do with that um and the biggest thing they took away from me was the fact that I couldn't speak on the Senate floor that year. Um, they wouldn't let me talk in front of all 56 state senators. And so that was a bit, uh, I was a bit upset about that because I really wanted to have that opportunity, um, especially, you know, with all these legislators that have a big impact in Georgia. And um, not being able to do that was disheartening. But the following year, I came back and I got that opportunity. So even though I didn't get to do it the first year. I got the opportunity to do it the second year, um, and it was incredible. It really was. And I remember right before I spoke, I was just on the side wall of the, um, their hearing room, and there was someone speaking before me, and none of the senators were paying any attention to her. They were all walking around, talking amongst themselves, and weren't giving her any bit of their attention. And I started getting even more nervous. I was like, oh my God, like I've been preparing so much for this. Like 
and they won't even listen to me. They won't, they're not going to listen to me. You know, I'm, I'm just a kid to them. And this is a woman and she's speaking, like she's very passionate about what she's talking about, but they weren't giving any attention to her. I was like, Oh my God, like, what am I going to do? And I remember I got up and I took a deep breath and I saw my mom, my brother, they were up um, on the balcony up top watching and I just spoke from the heart. And thankfully I remember after a few sentences, there was silence and all eyes in the room were on me. And by the end, everyone was clapping. And that was kind of the moment that resonated with me that young people have a voice and we're being heard. And that has always been one of my favorite speeches. I mean, I definitely blacked out for it. I definitely, (laughs) when I speak, I kind of forget everything that happens. And, you know, I kind of go in this autopilot mode. um, And then I come back to once it's over. (laughs) That story gave me chills. That's so amazing. And this is just on a local level, but I know on a national level that the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act was recently introduced in the House. Can you talk about what that bill includes and the possible effects that could have on a national scale? Yeah, so the Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act was just introduced recently, and it's the first national bill that addresses plastic pollution. And what it does is it puts more pressure on the producers of plastic. Um, to take more responsibility um, and not put it all the, I guess, all the blame on the consumers. Like, oh, you know, you need to recycle it. Um, you know, give, giving them more responsibility um, and being more accountable for the plastics they produce and taking it back. And it has different options for them to take. And it's kind of complicated. And honestly, I don't know every detail about it, but it is really um, it's a great bill. I love how it turned out. Um, but some people kind of disagree with it. They think it's too much, too fast. I get that, but we need this kind of action before it's too late. Um, and there are so many other states that are starting to do bag bans or selling use plastic bans or fees on plastic bags. And it's been incredible. And you see how big of an impact it's had there. Uh, one of my friends just passed um, one of the strongest Selling those plastic bands in Hawaii. Um, it's one of the strongest in the world. And um, so that's been incredible just to see youth getting involved on that legislation. And so seeing it nationwide has been kind of interesting to watch. Right now, there I don't think there is any bipartisan support yet. I think it's all Democrats, which is a little unfortunate because, you know, you have to have bipartisan support to really pass anything. But it that was incredible to be on board with that. Um, as a young person to say, hey, you know, this is impacting my future. And even though I can't even vote yet, you know, I still get to have a say. And so I got to speak at um, the Capitol in D.C. and help introduce the bill uh, among six members of Congress and a few of my other uh, activist friends. So that was definitely an incredible experience for me uh, to do that. But I would love to see this bill pass, hopefully in the next few years, probably not, you know, the first year after it's introduced, but um, that would be incredible, but just especially with everything going on, uh, probably won't happen this year, but I do have high hopes that, you know, people will join us in this fight. It sounds like it could be a really great step in the right direction, even just around creating awareness and education, like you mentioned earlier, which is what a lot of the industry is afraid of in the first place. Yeah. So in addition to plastic pollution, you also campaign for a vegan lifestyle. 
Can you talk about the connection between the environment and our food choices and why it's important to live a vegan lifestyle? I've been vegan for around two years and it has been an incredible journey as well because I think a lot of people perceive vegans very badly or that we only eat like rabbit food and like grass. (laughs) I've definitely just uh, been eating so much healthier but also enjoying food more. But I first became vegan because of animals actually. Um, But through that, I started learning more of the environmental impact and that became more of my main focus um about you know educating people on you know making smarter food choices i don't want everybody to think oh i want you to be vegan i never want to pressurize anyone into doing that um just you know be more considerate about you know what's on your plate and even just reducing the amount of meat or dairy you consume will have such a huge impact um you don't have to be fully vegan that was my choice you know that was the, the path that I took, but every little bit counts, as I said. And um, so the biggest environmental impact of um, mainly meat and dairy is the methane that, you know, these animals produce, mainly cows. Um, they produce large amounts of methane, and um, methane is one of the worst uh, greenhouse gas emissions, uh, not emissions, greenhouse gases, because they um, are like four times Uh, worse than carbon dioxide and the amount of uh, methane that is released just from you know from food um, that for beef and milk um, and veal is about equivalent to the amount of carbon that's emitted from all transportation in the world Um, so there's our food choices um, that we have make a huge impact it also is a big water pollution problem and waste disposal problem Um, there's just a lot of different issues um, because a lot of the meat and dairy industry isn't regulated on, you know, pollution or, you know, what they do with all the remains and stuff. Um, So that creates a big environmental impact. Um, A lot of deforestation um, to create land for these animals as well, um, which leads to like more erosion and desertification. So there's, it's, (laughs) there's a lot that happens, unfortunately. And that's how you saw, you know, the Amazon rainforest fire starts because they're cutting down, um, they're doing slash and burn of the Amazon rainforest to make room for cattle and to produce beef or soy, but all the soy that they're growing is for the cows. We're seeing this impact all over the world, especially also just with seafood. That creates a huge impact, um, a lot with plastic pollution, actually, Um, but fishing is also not very regulated because you don't, you can't have a lot of enforcement if you're out on a boat in the middle of the ocean, you know, you don't have, you know, someone over your shoulder telling you what you can and cannot do anymore. Um, and so a lot of fishing nets and stuff are just thrown out in the ocean because it's easier for them, not as much, you know, weight on the boat. And so that's less, you know, gas or fuel that they'll need. So a lot of them just dump it out overboard. And that creates a huge problem with a lot of their nets being nylon, which is a type of plastic. And they become like tumbleweeds and they just roll in the ocean and they snag uh, coral or they capture other marine animals. So a lot of these, uh, you know, processes that we use to create the food that we eat can be really harmful. But also um, just produce as well. They have some, um, you know, harmful impacts, but it's compared to like meat and dairy and, you know, fishery. There's a huge impact that you can see that just from, you know, those things alone uh, have on our planet.
And like you said, it's probably not realistic for every single person to adhere to a vegan lifestyle, but I recommend even just having a meatless Monday and reducing your meat consumption one day a week. It can have such a huge impact on the environment. Yeah, most definitely. And there's so many great alternatives out there now too. Um, So I know everyone's like, oh, but don't you miss like ice cream or chocolate or, you know, burgers. I'm like, not really, because they have all these vegan options for me that taste the same, if not better. Um, So that's been really helpful as well. The Impossible Burger definitely shows the increased interest in living a vegan lifestyle, because I feel like that's really taken off in the past year and become really popular. Yeah, and now that it's common, like pretty much anyone can have access to it now, Um, or the Beyond Burger as well, that just makes it so much easier, you know, for people that do miss, you know, like meat, because they want to like give up um, meat because of the health impacts or the environmental impact, you know, they have that option. Um, So that's, you know, incredible that, you know, technology has come this far, uh, that we can make, you know, our own fake meat. On another note, I know that corporate sustainability is another important issue to you. What are some examples of ways that you've gotten involved in corporate sustainability? Um, I try to push a lot more sustainable practices with businesses, like um, reducing emissions that they have or uh, having more, you know, vegan options. Um, Or if it's like a restaurant or like a chain to have paper straws or have more sustainable practices. I work closely with uh, Ted's Montana Grill um, because they're very sustainable. Um, They try and focus on you know everything like energy they have paper straws um they try to and like the food is all uh sourced locally or ethically and so um I do a lot of work with them um because they're a great example of you know what restaurants can do um to make it impact make a difference um I do work with Kashi which is a cereal brand and I help develop um some of their kids cereals um and snacks which is really cool because I never in my wildest dreams would have thought my face would be on a cereal box but here I am (laughs) but um um, I work with them and help try and produce uh, you know sustainable products um, you know more vegan products Um, and I want to help with more of the packaging that we use because we do have some plastics um, in our packaging and I would love to move away from that so that's also something uh, we'll plan to work on. I have worked with Lush I got to visit their headquarters in the UK and they do a lot of great work um, especially with plastic pollution um, they have a lot of their like naked products which is stuff without uh, plastic packaging um, and so it's great that you know having businesses provide these options because um, cosmetics also are, is a big problem I worked with Dove as well for Earth Day they announced that um, I think Earth Day of last year that they weren't going to use any version plastic which is the like the making new plastic out of like oil and fossil fuels, but uh, using recycled plastic uh, for all their products, which, um, you know, isn't the best solution, but you know, it's a step in the right direction. So I helped them with that campaign as well. Um, And I also worked with a coalition of around 10 or 15 organizations. And we tried to convince Starbucks to develop a more sustainable paper coffee cup because the paper coffee cups are actually lined with plastic on the inside because of, uh, you know, if you put hot coffee in a paper cup, it's going to, like, disintegrate and, like, get all mushy. Um, So they have a plastic lining on the inside, um, but the problem is that makes it impossible to recycle. And so all the paper coffee cups they use end up 
in the landfill. And even if you put it in the recycling bin, it ends up in the landfill because they can't recycle it. So, um, you know, they kind of market that, oh, you can recycle our paper coffee cups. Really, you can't. So we got around a million petitions together, all like 15 organizations to develop more sustainable paper coffee cup. And um, now Starbucks has announced that they're going to put $10 million in investing into finding a more sustainable paper coffee cup. So we don't have any updates on that yet, um, but they're still looking for a more sustainable paper coffee cup, which is great. And since then, now Starbucks has, uh, you know, decided to use uh, paper straws and those sustainable lids, like the sippy cup lids um, and things like that. So uh, it's been incredible. Oh, also American Airlines. I remember I reached out to them um, with the plastic straws that they use in their flights. And um, they said they were already planning on working on it, but this letter uh, that I gave, I gave them, wanted them to move even faster to try and get this done, um, which is incredible. And I also have so many other my, of my friends and mentors that work with other businesses. I, you see Alaska Airlines, like my friend Shelby O'Neill, she helped convince them um, to get rid of their plastic straws. And I believe they were the first airline to do so. Um, and you see um, so many youth get involved um, and convince businesses, which is incredible because usually, you know, they don't listen to kids or, you know, think that, you know, we don't have an impact. And I know from a young age, I realized that we don't really have a seat at the table. We kind of just have to pull up a chair and, you know, sit there and just be vocal, even if they don't, you know, invite us there. Just make room for yourself and speak up and, you know, they'll have to listen. That's so exciting to hear that Starbucks is investing their $10 million in finding a cup that can be recycled because I think that's a huge misconception that the coffee cups can be recycled. Almost every time I go to a Starbucks, I see people put them in the recycling bin and I'm so tempted to just grab them out and put them in the trash can. Um, so that's so great to hear. And that's a perfect transition, how you were talking about all of the youth getting involved. I want to talk about the youth activist movement specifically. Most likely everyone at this point has at least heard of Greta Thunberg, the Swedish environmental activist who has been traveling the world and bringing awareness to climate change. Why do you think it has taken a 17-year-old girl like yourself skipping school to bring awareness to the fact that we are facing a dire situation? I don't know exactly why it's taken this long. I mean, I'm so grateful that, you know, people are listening now because I know so many youth have been speaking up for such a long time. And while our voices do get heard, there isn't, you know, a lot of impact that we see or um, a lot of, I guess, media representation or uh, a lot of just, you know, conversation about it. But to see how big Greta has been and how huge her voice is um, in making an impact is incredible. And I know she's a role model for so many people, um, which is also so important because growing up, I didn't really have that. Um, my closest thing was Malala. Um, I loved watching her as a young kid, but that was about it. Um, and now you can see Greta and so many other uh, youth speaking up on you know these global issues and they're actually being heard um, is incredible. Um, I wish you know we were able to do this earlier especially with uh, research research showing that, you know, climate change um, is having a huge impact on us now. And we have, you know, just a short amount of time before we can uh, fix it all, this little window um, before it's too late. Um, and I think also, I think because Greta speaks so much about 
you know, not just hope, but also fear um, is a huge impact because as a young person, I know I'm fearful for my future. I know I definitely, we definitely talk about, you know, having hope, there's still time. Um, but I think having that fear and showing, you know, if we don't fix it, um, you know, what are we gonna do? Because a lot of the people that are making these decisions, um, whether it's governments or uh, business businesses, you know, they're older and they're not worried about, you know, our future. Um, they're only worried, you know, about themselves or, you know, their wallets. And so they're finding, you know, the cheapest alternatives um, that they can find. And usually, you know, they have a huge impact um, when it comes to climate change. And so when you talk about, you know, a fear of my future, like I'm scared of growing up um, because they're all worried about, you know, they're just going to die from old age, but we're going to die of climate change. And, um, you know, if there's not enough impact by the time we're old enough to make those decisions, it's going to be far too late. And so we really need to see action now. And it's, it's hard when you see, you know, climate change being, you know, a debatable topic, like, oh, is it real? Is it not real? You know, we've come to a point where if you can't even, you know, believe that it's a real problem, you're not going to take action on it. And it's hard, especially here in the U.S. with, you know, some political leaders believing, you know, oh, climate change isn't real. You know, it's not a problem. It is. And the fact that there is an action um, is scary. And with such a short amount of time, um, I know I talk about when I'm older, like, I'm, I don't even want to have kids of my own because I don't want them to grow up um, kind of in the same situation that my generation's in right now, you know, having to worry about their future because, like, we, we love the planet and we don't want to get rid of our home. Um, and it's, it's really scary because we don't know what's going to happen. Those are really powerful words, and I think it is important we can be hopeful, but it also is important to be a little fearful so that we can keep these issues in mind because there is a long way to go. And I think you've definitely already proven that the youth are the future and the youth are really the ones leading the fight against climate change. And unfortunately, a lot of the youth are being shut down. Recently, the United States Secretary of the Treasury clashed with Greta Thunberg at the World Economic Forum, and I want to read you what he said and get your response. When asked about climate activist Greta Thunberg's recommendation that the public and private sectors should divest from fossil fuels, Steve Mnuchin replied, after she goes and studies economics in college, she can come back and explain that to us. As a youth activist yourself who has not yet gone to college, what is your response to what you said? Because I think you've definitely proven that you are very knowledgeable on a lot of these issues. Yeah, wow, I haven't heard that before, but that, that can be really frustrating as a young person because I've definitely heard things like that before. Um, oh, you know, well, you know, she's just a young person. She's not educated enough. And it's frustrating that, you know, my age, my education, has to limit, you know, my opinion or what I have to say. Gosh, that's, yeah, that's tough because you can't, there's not a lot you can do, you know, to prove yourself um, that, you know, oh, your degree, you know, makes you, you know, reliable. Um, as a young person, she's showing, you know, scientists, she's not speaking, oh, I did this research. She's showing that these other scientists are doing this uh, research and she's just speaking from her own opinion or her own personal life um, but it's definitely frustrating adults usually straight older white men are making us 
seem invalid or unreliable. Yeah, I had a friend send it to me and I remember just being so upset because you really look around and youth and people our age are the ones who are really fighting against climate change and we can make great strides, but unless people in government are also willing to take strides, then it can kind of feel like you're just hitting a wall. Yeah, without that collaboration, you know, it's hard to get anywhere else. And that's definitely what I've seen in Georgia the past few years is definitely getting better, but um, it can be hard, you know, when a few people are stopping you, but they have so much, you know, power over what you can do as one person. For other youth who are interested in these issues, but maybe don't know how to get involved, what advice do you have for them on how they can start to make a difference even in their own communities? My first piece of advice is educate yourself. So whatever topic you want to focus on, um, thankfully we all have our phones. <laughs> we all have um, such great technology now. So educate yourself as much as you can on what you can do. Um, also find some great organizations that are already doing some work and look at what they're doing. And if you want to do something locally, what I like to do if I'm looking kind of at my city is kind of just look around, kind of just observe what problem you see. Like, let's say, you know, at your favorite local park, you see that there's so much trash everywhere um, and the bins are just overflowing um, and there's no recycling bins then um, or a compost bin. Um, once you kind of identify a problem or uh, someplace you know you want to get involved at, then start to plan out what action you want to take and then find your team, your core group of supporters, whether that's your friends or your family um, or some of the organizations you've reached out to or uh, found online and start to plan out what you want to do and then take action. And it can be hard and it's definitely, it varies depending on your situation uh, for sure, but having support from other people is definitely uh, a big part of it. Um, and also just as long as you are passionate about what you're doing, um, you plan it out and you believe in yourself, you're already halfway there. Um, you really just have to pull through and you'll definitely reach, you know, roadblocks along the way. I wish it was as easy as it sounds for sure. <laughs> we definitely reach roadblocks or people that don't believe in you. Um, but if you have this core group of people um, supporting you or helping you or on your team, you know, they'll help you get through it. And um, I know that when there are people trying to bring you down, I promise there's so many other people trying to bring you up and supporting you. So don't let that, those few people bring you down. You know, if it seems like you've reached such a big roadblock that you can't get around it and, you know, you can't solve this problem, then go to the next problem. Don't let it discourage you um, because we can't fix everything, unfortunately. Sometimes, you know, it's the right project, but it's just the wrong time. Um, and, you know, just move on to the next thing. Yes, and all small steps lead to something great. So even if you feel like it's one small change, it really starts to add up and make a big difference. For sure. Well, you've already accomplished more in your short life than most people probably accomplished in their entire lives, but do you have any other exciting plans coming up in the near future that you can share with us? Yeah, so I actually have a book that's coming out um, October 13th of this year. That's really exciting, um, and it's kind of, it's on my journey through plastics. It's called uh, Taking on the Plastics Crisis, and 
um, it's just talking about kind of how I got involved and more in depth on how other people can get involved and about why plastic's a problem um, and how to work with businesses and pol politicians and also just make impacts locally or in your daily life. Um, so that's coming out, which is super exciting. Um, and I have a few other campaigns I've been working on that's kind of under the wraps. Um, me and one of my friends, um, back to collaborating with people, um, me and one of my friends, we have, we focus on two different topics. He, um, his name is Robbie Bond. He started Kids Speak for Parks, um, and he focuses on national parks, but also using technology because not everybody has access to going to national parks. Um, and so he does some work with virtual reality and I do a lot of work with plastics. And so we decided to work together and we actually did um, a recording of one of the beach cleanups we did in Hawaii and um, we're turning it into virtual reality. Um, and so our goal is to be able um, to make it a free resource on Google education so that you know schools can use that um, if they can't you know go to a beach um, if they're you know inland or uh, they can kind of as close as they could be at a beach cleanup um, and so yeah I'm excited about that we're hoping to have that done by the end of this year that's incredible well we'll stay tuned and I'll put it in the show notes but where can listeners find you and follow along with all these exciting things that you're working on yeah, so Hannah for Change uh, with the number four, uh, the digit, dot uh, org. So that's my website. And then on all social media platforms, it's just Hannah for Change. Great. So to finish up, after hearing all that you've accomplished, I am so inspired and hopeful about the future. And I want to know, what are you hopeful about? I'm hopeful that youth are going to be able to turn the world around and open everyone's eyes. Uh, and kind of see the world through a child's eyes again and we obviously won't be able to do it on our own we definitely need the support from adults because we can't do everything on our own um, and so I'm hopeful that also adults join us in this fight and don't just turn around and look the other way um, but I definitely think that youth are being more heard than ever before and our voices are more valid uh, than I think people assume. So I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, the world will turn around. That's, I guess, the best way to put it. Um, and that will be able to change the fate that we're, you know, driving towards right now. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your incredible journey and all that you're working on. And I'm so excited to see all that you have coming up in the future. So thank you for joining us today. Much, of course. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want to learn more about today's guest or just say hello, check out the show notes and find us on Instagram at hopefully sustainable pod. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. As you finish this episode, remember that we are all on a personal journey to make the world a better place, but it's all about progress, not perfection. Until next time, stay hopeful and stay sustainable.